Hello again, my name's Andy, I teach creative writing and I write children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. This week we're returning to action scenes. We started in part one by looking at what makes action scenes seem worthwhile, and I would definitely recommend listening to part one if you haven't already. This time we're going to look at how to present action on the page. As I said last week, even if you're not writing stuff with lots of action in it, I think you'll find these ideas interesting as they touch on useful principles for all kinds of scenes. So if we're writing an exciting scene, one of the first things that might strike you as different to, say, descriptive passages or dialogue-heavy scenes is the heavy focus on the sense of speed at which things are taking place. In terms of the line-by-line of writing, this means you want to match the impression of pace to the actions. Sometimes we might want to inflate the sense of time, and sometimes we might want to contract it. I think the temptation here can be to rely too much on words and phrases like suddenly and as if in slow motion to make this focus on time and perception clear. But actually, I think this can really bog down action sequences, make them less fun to write and to read, generally give this impression of a camera being controlled by the writer rather than the reader conjuring things from the page for themselves. Instead, I would recommend experimenting with the writing itself to achieve the effect of pace. For example, you can slow things down simply by describing a single important action in minute detail. Or you can write shorter paragraphs and shorter lines to provide a sense of rapid pace. Lots of good varied verbs help with this. And actually one approach that can help is to make a list of verbs that you might want to include to get an impression of the actions taking place and then build lines around these verbs to keep the writing as pared back and efficient as possible. However you're choosing to pace things, you need to make the writing clear at every point. Paragraphs help a lot here. I know I've gone on about these before, and I know it can seem boring, but thinking about things paragraph by paragraph can really help shift your work away from writing without a sense of structure or method to it, towards something that reads like published work. Each paragraph should be doing something interesting, and in terms of action, this means having each paragraph deal with a new separate action or realisation. It also means attributing actions to different characters through the paragraphs. This is best shown with examples. So we'll start with the scenario. Let's have a bad guy who is a knight, attacking our main character, who's a dragon, let's say, to mix things up a bit. And we're going to call the dragon Edgar, because that seems cool. This is how it looks without any pacing and breaking up. The knight swung the deadly sword at Edgar, but Edgar was too fast, dodging to the side so that the weapon embedded in the wall. This momentary reprieve meant that Edgar could easily run away, choosing a door that led into the darkness. Let's look at what's bogging things down here. So firstly, there's a lot going on in one paragraph, a lot of detail to orientate, and it's hard to know what's supposed to feel important 
because it's all a continuous blurting of this and then this and then this. The sense of cause and effect is a little muddied up, and phrasing such as so that and this meant are explaining the consequences to the reader rather than letting the reader connect meanings and importance for themselves. This is really crucial to all aspects of a writing, and it shouldn't take a break during action sequences. In fact, have a listen to recent podcasts on effective scenes for more on this need for expectation in our writing. The word easily, and that bit saying that Edgar was too fast, aren't helping either. They're all authorial interruptions telling us the importance of things, telling us the significance of what has happened, even as the threat has gone out of it. It's hard not to feel that the images themselves, which should be the most exciting part, the swinging sword and the running into the unknown, have been lost in the effort to tell the reader how dramatic it all is. So what if instead we tried something like this? The knight gave a yell and swung the sword. Edgar ducked. The sword whistled over his head and embedded in the wall with a sharp clank. The knight snarled fiercely. He tried to free the sword, but his hands shook with the effort. It was clearly stuck in the thick stone. Edgar staggered back. A doorway lay to his right with a deep patch of darkness beyond. He took a steadying breath and ran in. Now the images lead the action. It's simpler, more broken up, and I would say the explanations we've removed, those, you know, so that and this meant bits of phrasing, aren't missed. Thoughts and dialogue can unnecessarily slow things down too, as can action-y sounding cliches, so here I've avoided saying, for example, Edgar couldn't believe his look, and I haven't had anyone snarl, you'll pay for that. I haven't needed to compare a distance to a hair's breadth, and, and this is most important if you don't want action sequence to get cluttered with redundant phrasing, I haven't needed to use the word suddenly. You'll notice that I have used some possible cliches, such as whistled over his head, because I like the sense of sound and action that provides for that particular close call, but in editing I could probably find a better phrase that would have the same effect. Also, I've avoided the word easily that cropped up in the first description. Sometimes a sense of momentary triumph can work well, but generally it's good to avoid any language that undermines a sense of threat and tension if we're going to sustain an interesting action sequence for any significant length of time. Basically, why say it's easy? Why suggest that they're safe? Just let the images do the work and keep the sense of threat bubbling. This would be easier to show on the page. I am actually in the process of writing a companion book for the podcast, so hopefully I can share that soon. But the most important change that's taken place here is that each of these actions is attributed to the character with a paragraph, and each paragraph is just one or two lines long. So for example, we have the knight gave a yell and swung the sword, new paragraph, Edgar ducked, the sword whistled over his head and embedded in the wall with a sharp clank. This is just the right length for an action, in my opinion. Details are clear enough to feel threatening and significant, but the writing isn't becoming sluggish. 
One word of warning on this, although I'm suggesting breaking things up like this makes it exciting, it could quickly get fatiguing if the sequence repeats too many similar threats and escapes or goes on too long. Like when we talked about conflict in the episode where the wild things argue, it's best to escalate from a sense of threat to a moment of danger that quickly resolves one way or the other, rather than labouring over lots of moments of danger, one after the other, without a clear sense of where it's leading. Last time we talked about not relating everything you know as a professional sword fighter to convey a sword fight. Maybe to add to that, don't try to relate all the close calls and scrapes you might expect to see, for example, in the action sequence of a movie. The visual element there is doing a lot of the work to make that interesting. And instead, think about important moments that lead to a sense of choice or consequence. Also, this might risk getting into complex things that deserve an episode of their own, but it's worth mentioning sound play taking place here too, so words with similar sounds being used in a sequence, which can be a good way to connect images and underline a sense of pace and imperativeness, and sometimes to mimic the sound objects are making as a way to subtly provide a sense of sensory details depending on how you use them. So for example here we have stuck thick stone, it was clearly stuck in the thick stone, or doorway deep darkness in that doom-laden sentence, a doorway laid to his right with a deep patch of darkness beyond. You don't need to overthink this, but it's good to get a sense of how words sound when you deploy them, and also to embrace words that evoke a strong sense of sounds taking place. We have whistle and clank here, which are nicely impactful. I think the best way to get an instinct for sound and action is to probably read poetry, because poets are annoyingly good at all that stuff. And while we're talking about knights fighting things, um, I can definitely recommend reading Gwain and the Green Knight. It's a medieval text, but don't let that put you off. There's lots of danger and adventure, and crucially, all the actions, even little gestures, are beautifully written with an ear for sound. You can find good translations that retain its poetical aspects, or if you're so inclined, you can read the Middle English version. Either way, once you've absorbed the sound of that language in evoking actions, it's hard not to use similar effects in your own writing. As a final point, it's worth thinking about the purpose of action scenes. If you're putting an action sequence in that doesn't relate to the main plot or challenge of the story, but just because you think it needs an action sequence to spice things up, you're probably writing yourself into a corner. You might get away with it once or twice as a way to show the nature of a character before the stakes of the story increase, for example, but to use it throughout is to risk making the story seem arbitrary and tedious. The example that comes to mind is the party of adventurers being attacked by random wolves in the forest scene. The wolves are just there doing wolf stuff, and it seems a shame for them to get involved in a fight. The adventurers fight them, they win, end of sequence. There's no sense of wider choices or implications here, even if it does perhaps give a sense of challenge in the world of the story. It's not that you couldn't write an exciting scene in this mould, but if you're going to spend time setting up a sequence of action in a satisfying way, 
it should probably have some significance to the plot, some meaning beyond just being action. Actually, for example, Tolkien has an attacked by wolves scene, but it's clear that they've been sent by the big bad guy, either Saruman or Sauron, I actually can't remember which, and it prompts them to make a decision between one route or another. So there's a connection to the main threat, a choice, and a significant effect as a result. So it's that kind of change that we want to represent in our action sequences. I think that brings us to my very final point. So at the end of all this, if you still don't like action sequences, that's fine. If you don't honestly think you would have enjoyed them as a child and don't enjoy writing them, I would urge you not to use them. You don't need them to tell a good story, and in my experience, writing scenes you don't actually like and can't find some way to like is always a bad idea. As a side note, I'm actually moving away from having as many action sequences in my own writing, partly just because I feel I've done them in my first book and want new challenges, and partly because I'm not sure there's much appreciation for the difference between good and bad action stories from most publishers, and that simply by being action-orientated, it risks putting you in a bracket where publishers don't care that much about it, however much readers enjoy it. It's a shame because I think action-orientated stories are a fun way of engaging young readers who like the thought of adventures but can't really go on them, readers like I was when I was young. And it's also an interesting way of addressing basic but important ideas, so doing the right thing, standing up for what's important, looking after each other, making compassionate choices in the face of a challenge. On a more general note, I think it's important to create books that cater to all readers instead of just telling readers that they should only like one type of book, and that these have to be books about everyday things without action and adventure. I think that's a good way to convince a lot of children to stop reading fiction altogether, especially those children that face enough draining issues in the real world already, and want to go to a place far away from all that where characters can face up to all the challenges in their world, however dangerous they might be, and overcome them. Okay, lengthy conclusion. We'll finish there. Thank you, as always, for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. Do go and listen to the other episodes if you haven't already. There's lots of free insights for writers and stuff that I've found useful over the years. If you want to support the podcast, and it does really help to get your support, please click on the buy me a coffee link in the description where you can quickly and easily send the price of a coffee. Also, please tell your friends about the podcast and feel free to tweet about it or spread the word on social media. I'm not trying to keep it a secret. Next time, we'll be looking at another aspect of writing, possibly catalysts and disturbances in storytelling. I hope you'll join me then. <laughs>